Welcome to the Coffee and Accounting Podcast, podcast for accounting, technology, business, the cloud, and geared towards employees and entrepreneurs. Thanks so much for joining us, and here's today's episode. Good afternoon. Welcome to Coffee and Accounting. I have with me here a good friend, David Rubin. And he's going to tell us a little bit about his company and what he does. So, David, so tell me a little bit, tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, who you are, what's your story? Patrick, first of all, thanks very much for having me on your show. Um, I, I was in business 17 or 10 years ago uh, work and created a printing company. Okay. I was in business for 17 years. Um, I, at that point, sold the company, retired for 10, and then decided to go back into business. And I kind of looked at myself in the mirror, if you will, and said, well, really, what do I know? Well, in 10 years, technology has grown by leaps and bounds. That's for sure. So I was really kind of a, a stranger in a strange land because I didn't have the knowledge of all of the technology today. But the one thing that really has not changed over the course of time, now really it has changed slightly, but not really is the color of money. Mm. And really, cash flow and income and having money to meet your bills is the crux of any business. And it's the lifeblood, that's for sure. If you don't have the proper cash flow, regardless of what your receivables are, you're going to go out of business. The writing is on the wall. Yeah, it's, it's really very simple. For sure. So now, now take me even further back. So like, where did you grow up? What's your, what was your education? Like, you know. I grew up in, uh, I guess it was Huntington Valley at the time. Okay. Um, Went to college, uh, originally went to work for a print shop for a year, for free. Wow. I did, I did not... You did it for free? 100%, absolutely. Why did you do that? Well, I had an ulterior motive. Well, I assume. And my, 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 my ulterior motive was to really understand the business from the ground up. Not from a sales perspective but from a manufacturing standpoint. So yeah. I actually worked in the shop, and believe it or not, I really couldn't stand the smell of ink and, and, and clean up solutions and all that. No, I, I, firm, I firmly believe you. Now, it's really interesting that you did that because there's one of my um, current, I, I guess you could call him a hero or an idol, but not really. He's more of a, a very successful businessman that I look up to. Um, he's based out of New York. His name is Gary Vaynerchuk. What does Gary do? He owns a Madison Avenue um, advertising agency. Okay. He's got 800 So he thinks out of the box. He no thinks question, out of the box. No yeah. question about it. I'm Absolutely. sure of it. So he started out in New Jersey. His, he's um, an immigrant um, from the former USSR. He came here with his family. His father's got a job at a wine store and eventually bought it. And then as a child, he ended up working in the liquor store with his parents. And um, when the internet came on and YouTube became a thing, he started this thing called Wine Library, teaching people about wines and pairings and things. And he grew his father's business from $3 million annually in revenue to over $60 million annually in revenue. That's awesome. Right? So after that, you know, he left his father's business. None of that was his own. He left his father's business, started over, started out in advertising, has written three books and stuff like that. But that's one of the things that he tells young kids to do. He says, if there's something you want to learn, go do it for a year for free. Go do it for free. Just eat shit, go do something, and just get it done. And You're I making me smile because <laughs> I, I, I've never heard of anybody else doing what I did. And I, you know, I think that that's, people are missing that today, are missing that apprenticeship mentality or experience. 
that could help them get further in life than just going to college. You know what I mean? You know, it's funny. When you go to college, they give you books. <laughs> and you read the books and you do the best that you can do in terms of the grades that you achieve. But in terms of real life experience, Bumpus. it doesn't teach you a thing. Yep. So to continue with my story, um, I worked within the print shop. And I, like I said, I did not like the smell of ink or fountain solutions, but I put up with it and I really learned the business. This happened in probably a long time ago, 1985, 86, when there was the explosion of PCs in the marketplace whenever, yeah. and they had continuous forms. Yeah. So I decided to do a kind of business analysis of, well, how smart would it be for me to open a print shop to do continuous forms in the hub? We're in Philadelphia, by the way, and I don't know if the audience knows that, but in the hub of Center City, did a business plan, realized what my costs were going to be for rent and employees and even down to the cost of rags. Mm. I opted and, and then once I looked at that, it was really a simple decision to make that if I was a broker and actually brokered the business, the money that I would generate as being a, having a brick and mortar store, if you will, the cost just to meet expenses, I would have over a six figure profit if I was able to generate the same as a broker. Yep. So my decision was really very simple. And that's what I did. Uh, I was awesome. in business for 17 years and by, and even to this day, and this is many, many years into the future, that I look back on what my experience was in doing the actual um, labor of manufacturing, if you will. It was an invaluable time, or the, the time was invaluable because I knew the business. I knew the business as well as the people that I was hiring to be able to produce the product. I did things, I think I do things in a little bit different manner. I do things in a little bit different manner than most. Um, in this particular business, people would call the vendor, ask for a price, talk to various vendors, get the best price, uh, submit the pricing to their end user client. Hopefully the job would be accepted. Uh, then the job would get produced. Mm. I did things a little bit out of the box. What I did was I negotiated all of the costs in front from the pre-pressed portion to things as simple as cutting down larger sheets of paper and costs all along the way so that I never had to call my library of vendors. What I would do is I would always gauge the product that had to be produced on the most cost-effective equipment, utilize the library of vendors that I had to produce that equipment I, excuse me, produce that product, regardless of what it was, whether it yeah, was a, yeah. a super high-end brochure, whether it was a, a huge catalog, um, whether it was something even as simple as, as letterhead and business cards, though that wasn't our focus, but more of an accommodation for our clientele. Right, right. Um, it worked out extremely well. Mm. Um, it was, you know, like in any relationship, it takes two hands to get washed. That's right. Um, my client always got what they needed at a competitive price, but the service was ex exemplary mm. because I was not doing the manufacturing. I didn't have to worry about... No, you could truly be client-facing and focus on your customer service and making sure that their needs were met and understood 100% instead of trying to juggle everything at once. The manufacturing, the printing, the quality control. Sales as also. Sales as, as well as the, the client-facing well, service. And also, you know. once 
and printing is an interesting industry mm. in terms of everything that's produced is proprietary. Yeah. I mean, perfect example would be if I printed business cards for, for you, Patrick, and it had my name on it, it wouldn't really be good for you. No. no but what's yeah. really crazy about the printing industry is that everything is client-specific, yet you still have to extend credit to them and mm. invoice them once the job is done. Mm. So I was caught in a situation where I had to have really good cash flow yeah, you because, I, well. because I had to pay for my product. I also was getting a discount from my vendors by paying the bills early, which well, was found and that, money. And that's, and that's probably the other thing that, that people listening to this don't realize is that you had to pay your vendors up front and then wait to get paid from your customer, right? 500%. You uh, could not be more accurate. I so mean, there was that, a tremendous. If you good, don't manage your cash flow, you you were you were you would have been sunk quick if you didn't um, know how to do that. Absolutely, I would have been thrown into the water and not knew how to do a stroke. Yeah. So it was really very important to do that. It was also important to be able to pay my vendors in a very expeditious way in order for them to give me the pricing that I needed for me to maximize my my profit on any particular job. Right, because you would get anywhere from 5, 10, 15, 20% or maybe even 30% off sometimes just by paying your invoices early. Well, actually, it wasn't really quite that high because what okay. I did was um, I had supplied everything to my vendor base, specifically paper. Paper can be a tremendous and I don't want to go into a whole ton of detail about printing well then well then let's move on from that I well think let you, me just finish this okay. one concept I would supply them with the paper so that they they didn't have the outlay of mm -hmm. the cash and having the wait to get paid by me okay and they were working at an 87 and a half to 91 percent gross profitability okay. so for them to have me show up with a job they were Standing there with welcoming arms. Yeah, yeah. And they knew the jeopardy of getting paid was zero. Mm. And also, it was basically, for lack of better words, invoices were paid on receipt. Okay. Unfortunately, in this world that we live in, not everybody has that same posture when they receive an invoice. Now, that segues beautifully into your current company, what what are you doing now? Tell, tell me about your company now. What, what company are you working on now? The name of my company is Credit Management Group and there's also another sister company which I also own called CMG Systems. The system, what, what I've developed through the use of technology and is really somewhat proprietary, I believe we're one of the only ones in the country doing what we do. And when I say we're, I believe we're the only ones in the country doing what we do, I'm not aware of anybody else. So it's a kind of disclosure because there may be, a, there may be another there company. There may be someone else that I'm out of California, but who knows? I don't, exactly. <laughs> so knowing what my past situation was and how important cash flow was to me personally, um, in my other company. That's true pretty much for any company. Cash flow is king. I yeah. mean, having cash is king. And I, though it's, it's a cliche, but it it's really true. is true. Yeah. It's absolutely true. 100%. So if you're, so let's, let's discuss a, a company model just very simply. Sure. The company model um, performs their service, whether it be a lawyer, whether it be an accountant, um, any, any true professional, or a company that's actually distributing a product, but they can't, they don't do payment on receipt or cash before delivery, and they have to go ahead and invoice their client. Well, they've already bared, have bared the cost of the service and all that. So they send out an invoice and then really what happens 
when the invoice is not paid within terms? Well, it's only apropos for a company to send out a very diplomatic, gentle reminder, reassuring their client that it is hype, you know, that um, cash flow is important to us and maybe you have not, not, not stating cash flow so much, but stating that there's still an outstanding balance. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, in, in essence, you owe me some money. Could you please pay? <laughs> But in, uh, but in much more but, diplomatic but, uh, terms. A lot, a lot more courteous <laughs> than that. That's for sure. Because one thing you never want to do is, I mean, obviously, look, you've done the work. You're entitled to get paid. People want, need their money. I, I get that. But you never want to approach a client in a way that may sour the relationship. Well, that will alienate them from, from potentially future business. A hundred percent, and profits. Yeah. And, you know, I guess if we look at it kind of from a different angle, the cost in actually retain or having a new client or getting a new client is 10 times more expensive than retaining a client. Mm, yeah. So it needs to be approached in in a very diplomatic and courteous way. Just confirm. I know we're repeating what we said before. So what I've done is I've designed a four-phase system to be able to have companies outsource their accounts receivable should an account go past the actual terms of or, or the date that the invoice is, is done. So almost like a step between the company and going to collections. Oh, absolutely. But it's a very systematic approach. And if you can envision in your mind's eye, when we receive an, an, uh, an invoice and everything's done on an invoice from a client, then there could be multiples or whatever. Right, right. We as a company, if our much like a freight train where we start at that where we start um and we don't stop until we get to destination and the destination and is remit re or yeah, payment is recapturing those right. funds so the one thing to really take into consideration is when dealing with accounts receivable if you are not paid within terms and there's any effort that has to be made from internal resource mm -hmm. or whatever to collect a receivable is actually you might as well just start putting it as as a credit in your your profit column because any more time that you have to spend is just a waste of money it's a non-profit owner's task yeah yeah so it's, that's it's number not, one not profit generating that's for sure but the, there's also another side to it too, and this is just touching upon what we discussed earlier, and that is that if it's not approached in the right way, you, the client can be alienated absolutely, and let's well, talk And there's about, other ramifications from that as well, like they could go and blast someone on social media, they could, you know, become aggressive against the company if it's not handled correctly the ripple effect could be horrible yeah it could be and right. i don't think there's anybody in business that wants a reputation like that or a review like that or or any of those actions taken absolutely so what we've done is in and i, I had stated earlier that we designed a four-phase pro uh, four-phase process mm -hmm. phase one of our system is reminder letters that are going from our client to their client done in the most courteous diplomatic language that really you 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 couldn't be more proper now it, i can verify that because right before we went on he let me read some of the letters and I got to tell you, I wish that if I had anything in collections, I would be getting these letters. <laughs> well, the reality is when you say collections, this isn't really well, a I true mean, quote collections. Right, right. This is more of an accounts receivable management system. 
So what happens is too, I wish there was more companies using this because I think they would retain clients better and that they, their clients would feel more valued and more appreciated when they aren't able to or when they don't pay their debts timely. I, 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 I agree with you 100%. And what I was going to start to say is that unless it's approached with a certain tact that it can be a problem. If you have an internal um, employee that's spending time doing this, which is actually costing the company way more money mm -hmm. than we can do it for because we're able to do it at a fraction of your internal costs um, and do it very systematically and with incredible ease. Our goal, and, and in our phase one, it consists of five different letters that get increasingly um, I, I'm, I'm trying to think of a, a, a little bit stronger, if you will. Um, and we're able to do it on a cycle that is every day. That's, I mean, accounts receivable management is all we do. Mm. It also seems that if you're in a company that receivables don't become really an issue that need to be kept on top of unless it starts becoming a crisis and then all of a sudden you don't have the cash flow, you can't meet your payroll, you can't meet an insurance bill, a rent payment, telephone, the list goes on and on and on. Yeah, you got to get ahead of it before it becomes a problem. Otherwise, you're already underwater. You should really be on it from if your terms are net 30, you know, being depending, you know, maybe a check got mailed on the 30th day, on the 35th day, there should be some action taken. Well, and any good bookkeeper that's in that sort of position in a company that's going to be monitor, monitoring or a controller, they're going to know that it, the terms may say net 30, but at net 15, you start checking up. <laughs> I, at least I, that's what I find. Well, it. there's, you know what, different companies do things in a different manner. Um, mm -hmm. Really, just the bottom line is that if you're able to outsource this and you're able to get better functionality, better service, and have it done consistently for a fraction why of your internal costs, why would you? Well, Patrick, I have to tell you, for lack of better words, it's really a no-brainer. It runs a very, very similar parallel to outsourcing payroll services years ago. People didn't do that. No. They said, why, why should I outsource? It's, it's crazy. I have Betty or John that's my bookkeeper. He's going to take care of it. It's all done. Well, well and then when Betty or John re retired or went to go find another job, they were up a creek without a paddle. Or they realized that when Betty or John were getting paid that they were making, you know, well over $30,000 a year. And then they found out through the evolution of automation that instead of having somebody perform that task internally, ultimately they could get it done for a fraction of that cost, get better service, not have the exposure of mistakes with the IRS, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, this and, is, and when mistakes happen, have someone else take care of it for you. Absolutely. And I think probably when you think of any entrepreneur um, who's successful in this world, if there's a way to delegate the authority to someone who specializes in a particular area of function, for a whole lot less than it would cost you internally, it's certainly something that should be taken advantage of. It's, it's a no-brainer. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, we've covered a lot just now, so I want to get back to one specific thing that I always love to ask my guests and that I think my audience really enjoys, and that is, what made you want to become an entrepreneur in the first place? <laughs> you know, Patrick, I, I thought a lot. I thought a lot about this, and I think that being under a certain corporate constraint 
um, and having to follow corporate uh, policy for me was a little difficult because my ultimate goal was to do the best thing that I could do for my client. And the position that I always take is, regardless of who the client is, I step into their shoes. And See, that's I, a very diplomatic answer for David doesn't play well with management. <laughs> that's really what you stood But I, I looked at it this way to continue on with my diplomacy. Um, what I try and do, and I can be a, I guess, a very demanding person in terms of people who are servicing me. Well, because you've got quality standards and you give those quality standards, so you expect those quality standards. My goal is always to do better. Always to do better. So therefore, I would expect that if I, well, let me back up just a minute. If I were to enter my client's shoes, I would ask that, you know, I would be thinking, what can you do for me? And this is all about what can be done for my clients. Mm, absolutely. There are a lot of times where I've been speaking with clients in terms of how to pursue things and how to get the best result without, again, jeopardizing client retention. Um, and I've kind of guided my clients. Our success rate has been excellent. Um, our, the reviews that I've received from my clientele are super. I don't always agree with my clients in terms of the ways that they would like to approach things because sometimes the client may not be really understand what the best, what the most effective approach might be mm. and always protecting their best interest at yeah. every turn of the fence. And I mean, that's why they hire you. They hire you for your expertise and for your results. I mean, right? That's that bottom line. Well, yeah, but also I think personal service. I think mm. my clients receive me in a different light than they may receive other businesses. Meaning that I take a personal interest in absolutely every account that I have and look at what the best approach is going to be to accomplish the goal that's at hand. So if I can break that down, what, what you've just told me, and please correct me if I, if I get it wrong, but the reason that entrepreneurship was meaningful or attractive or enticing for you was because you wanted to provide a level of service that you saw was not being offered already. You saw a problem, you wanted to solve it, and you felt that the only way to accomplish this was, was to go out and be the change. Is, I, is that, I think is that, you're right. I, I, I think that it really has to do with open thinking hmm. um, and not being controlled by corporate policy um, and, and standards that are established by somebody who may be higher up in, a, in, in the corporate chain that really isn't well, who in has the never trenches. Done, yeah, who has never been in the trenches, who has never done the jobs. Absolutely. You know, throughout the company. And that's, that's one thing that I, as, as a CEO myself, that I always try to maintain is a working knowledge and a practical application in every aspect of my business. There's not a position in my company that I'm going to hire that I haven't done yet. That's my goal. I, we go back to the, you know, the, the, me starting and working in a printing company for nothing. Yeah. It's exactly the same thing. Mm -hmm. And um, I have to say, when I'm able to help a client and really kind of enter their shoes and look at it from their standpoint, and get results, it gives me a real internal smile and um, a, a true sense of satisfaction that we were able to help the client the best way that I know how within the arena in which I work.
mm-hmm. which a lot of times they really it's uncharted waters for them. Now, if you could boil it down, and, and thank you for that, I appreciate your response. If you could boil it down to to one thing, what is the most valuable thing that you provide to your clients or that you give them back? It's a it's a it's a good question. It's not an easy question to answer. But the one thing that we are able to do within credit management group and CMG systems is almost be like their own in-house accounts receivable management department that that is all that they do and we're almost like we're in a back small closet behind the scenes that they don't have to worry about it so what we're able to do by handling something that's so critical as reducing days of sales outstanding or outstanding invoices, we're freeing their time up to be able to dedicate to doing what their craft is that is going to create profit for them, not something that needs to be followed up on that's a dream for them. So the, so basically, to boil it down to a simplistic point, would be you give them their time back. Well, yeah, we give them their time back, but and there's a little more to it than that, too. Yeah, ab- absolutely, absolutely. I mean, but I mean, for an entrepreneur, I mean, what's the most valuable thing any of us have, even as human beings? It's the only commodity we have time. is time. Time. That's time. it. That's it. You know? and so anything that we can do, especially as entrepreneurs to provide the opportunity to give someone their time back, I think that is the most praiseworthy of pursuits. Do you know what I mean? I I understand it, but I also look at it from a profit loss standpoint. And I'm sure you know, like from from an accounting standpoint, look, everybody's in business to be able to maximize their profit and minimize their expense. Absolutely. It's really, I mean, if we're gonna play, reduce it to the ridiculous, that reduces it to the ridiculous. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And we are able to take this task of following up with receivables for on my client's behalf for a fraction of what they're paying currently. And a lot of them are really unaware that they don't even know what it's costing them. I don't think it's, I think it's something that's so far out of their wheelhouse they don't get it. It just seems to be a necessary administrative process of the business that they don't know is available out there that they can take advantage of. Well, and once again, people don't spend the time to figure out what these activities cost them or what they take away from because they're so busy trying to juggle everything at once. Well, that's number one. But I mean, number two is they may be unaware that... There is that availability. Yeah, that's true. Well, I mean, you don't know what you don't know, right? Of course. I mean, and that's why I wanted to have you on the show because... Oh, I thank you again. <laughs> it's a pleasure, truly. You know, I always enjoy talking with you. Um, but getting getting back on topic, you know, I, I want you to kind of take us through a an average day of, of a client hiring you and working with you and what what that looks like? Um, I I think it's best, rather than an average day, I think it would be maybe better off... Well, do you want to give me a scenario? Well, no, what I I was going to say, Patrick, was that when the client initially calls me, Mm -hmm. because what the goal is, again, is to minimize their time expenditure so that they can pay attention to their profit-oriented tasks. So they can get back to their business. Exactly, yeah. 500%. So um, when speaking with the client, I, I think that I would go through, I know what happened, I know what I go through is for them to explain to me what their pain is and what their pain threshold is and in, in specific regard to accounts receivable and how we can alleviate that pain. So we would talk about, um, obviously the approach is um, customized to each, each account, uh, 
intervals of reminders that are sent to the account. And this is all done electronically, by the way. I forgot to mention that. Um, and understanding what we can do best for the client. Mm -hmm. So when, I, when you ask me the question, what's an average day like? Well, we have to go through, excuse me, I apologize. We have to go through our normal um, steps of, of executing the business. That's really very simple. There's many things that are done behind the scene. But I would say that most of my time is really dedicated in talking to new accounts and being able to step into their shoes and really understand the best approach for them to accomplish the goal of getting receipts quicker and improving their cash flow. That makes sense. And going going over all of the, I guess, rehashing sort of the things that you've mentioned today, you know, you've got a three phase or four phase? Four phases. Four phase process. It starts out with an initial call. The client calls you. They've got some uncollectible debts that they, you well, know. Well, not necessarily about. uncollectible, uh, but uh, something well, that's a past, past that's actually due. a past due invoice. A past, past due invoice that they haven't been able themselves to collect on or haven't made the attempt to yet. Now, where do you where do you step in? Is it before where would sorry where would you prefer to step in? Credit management solutions. Well, it's credit management group. Credit, sorry, credit management group. I've got solutions on the brain. Cause well, it is a solution. Exactly. It's absolutely a solution. So where would you prefer to step in? Would it be as soon as the invoices go delinquent or before the employers made any attempts to collect? Well, what we're doing is trying to really alleviate all of, the, um, all of my clients' time. Mm -hmm. in pursuing anything so they really when a, a debt becomes or an invoice becomes outstanding let's just use an example if their terms are net 30 okay and in 35 days they still hadn't received payment that's well, when they would call you well actually we can we do everything electronically or so the amount of time that they have to spend is is again just severed it's now, very now how does that, I apologize for interrupting you. It's fine. How, how does that work? How, you say electronically, like what, is, what does that mean? Do they send you an email? Is it, do they um, send you a spreadsheet? Um, you know, how does that work? How do they get the information to you? Really very simply. They, um, we have a design template which has all the pertinent information, specifically client name, uh, address, invoice number, invoice date, um, and they put it together in uh, or just add it to the spreadsheet, uh, an Excel spreadsheet, and then send that to me. What I'm able to do, and the reason that we're able to be so cost effective is that we're taking true advantage of technology. Mm. I, I'm able to take the spreadsheet regardless of how many um, outstanding invoices there are and download it automatically into my system and then the reminders are automatically generated since the original um, inception of the client we've already established what how we would like to approach it in terms of intervals and um, dealing with the clients okay can, now step one phase one consists of how many letters there are five different letters in phase one in phase one and I also you know I'm smiling as I'm saying this because there is no way that without the technology that we've developed uh, for another company to do it our cost for all three all should we have to go through the series of uh, in phase one of the five letters is $15 flat, wow. period. It's very inexpensive. Yeah. And at any time prior to the next interval going out to their my client's client, um, we would be in contact with the client electronically and any time that they receive payment, we supply to them also a remittance sheet. When they get payment, 
they simply have to put an X in a column, send it back to me um, prior to the next interval being done. They're removed from the system and no further contact is made. Perfect. So that's number one. Now phase two, tell me about phase two. Real well, quick. what happens is that if, if we are to have to go through all five letters, um, the, and, and we're working on a, if we opted for a 15 day interval. Now, please understand again, that this is already an account that's aged 30 days. Yeah. So that if you're able to send uh, a reminder to them, and again, with the most courteous language, probably that you could do, or, or anybody could compose. It you catch is, more flies with honey, right? <laughs> well, yeah, and it just is what it is. But sometimes people just do not pay for many, many reasons, you know, cash flow for them may be a real issue. That's yeah, number true. one. True. And if you're not a, uh, and something that they require to operate their business, they may put your invoice at the bottom of the uh, pile yeah. and not be paid at the back burner. So you always, nothing, nothing is better in this world than redundancy. Certainly if you have an, uh, receivable, and it goes beyond aging days and it's not addressed, don't think that somebody else is going to address it because they're not. Mm. So anyway, um, if we're able to go through all five letters again for the $15 uh, through phase one uh, and run a 15-day interval, now 105 days has gone by. Yeah. It's a lot of time. It's, uh, well, yeah, it's a lot of time. Uh, but who knows why? And now here in phase, in phase two of our system and in the letters of letters four and five of the phase one, it mentioned CMG systems. CMG systems is my sister company, as I said before, and it's truly a collection agency, mm. but, and this is really funny. But this is absolute. Uh, I, you know, I, I see it happen every day. When there's introduction of a third party regarding a debt, then it gets addressed. Mm. I don't know why people do not take as seriously coming from the original creditor rather than intervention of the third party. But that's just reality. Yeah, true. So phase two of our system consists of three letters. Now the letters are coming from CMG systems. And, and in the letters it's stated, the first two words in letter number one are bold and all uppercase. And those words are courtesy notice. Mm. And I finally refer to this as our client retention phase. We had had a conversation, we were in our conversation a little bit earlier, we talked about the cost of um, client acquisition versus client retention. So we want to give the, my client's client, every opportunity that we can for them to be able to pay their bill and also retain the client for future business and profits. Absolutely. That cost for phase two of our system is again, $15. I don't know how anybody in this world for $30, if we had to go through complete phases one and complete phases two, to be able to send out a total of eight pieces of correspondence for $30. Well, and we're also at, if, if they make it through complete phase two, we're at 200 days? Uh, it's actually, it's not 200 days. It's, it's, it's right around, you know, like 175 days. Okay. Now, okay. look, Patrick, I, I have a certain kind of posture in addressing this. And this is maybe thinking a little bit outside the box and 
talking about not falling under corporate constraint or something like that. I will not, I will not send out any correspondence after 12 o'clock on a Friday period. Because when somebody receives something at 12 o'clock on Friday, who knows what their mental outlook is. They want to look at like they want to get out for the weekend. Yeah, you they're know, definitely they do not a, thinking about anything else. Right. So <laughs> what's going to happen is it's going to go into the to it pile. Yep. And then nobody ever gets to it. So therefore, it's not going to be have the impact that it would if it was sent Monday, Monday, Tuesday, Monday, Wednesday. Monday through Thursday or Monday through Friday by noon. Yeah. So when we were talking about the days, I also will not ever send anything out on a weekend either mm -hmm. for the same reason. The impact is not going to be there. Now, if I can go again and I constantly am entering my or putting on my client's shoes, that if I were the client, I wouldn't want things sent after 12 on Friday and I wouldn't want them sent over the weekend and I wanted to get the most bang for my buck. Absolutely. So here's the kind of thinking out of the box and that's how that happens. So now, that's phase two. Now what's phase three? Well, at that point, Patrick, we're no I, longer thinking about retaining the client. I mean, well, you, you know what? You have to make that decision. Hmm. Really, when I say you, I'm saying my the, client. The entrepreneur, yeah. You, or company, whatever company, it is. Whatever, you know, yeah. Regardless, do you really want to do any work for a company that's going to pay you in 175 days? Well, here I put on my client's shoes again. You know what? No, I don't want that client. No. But I want to be able to make the decision as if, if I were the creditor or the company in terms of firing client rather than having them fire me. Yeah. Because if they fire me, I have, you know, there's a black mark on my face. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But if I fire them, I would certainly have it be justified. Now, let me say one other thing also, that in these letters, it... From, it's absolutely clear that if there's a problem with the bill or if they, um, you know, just to resolve the issue, to call our client directly. In phase one and phase two, we don't get involved in touching the money at all. Yeah, we only precipitate payment. So therefore, if somebody were, you know, let, let's just pick a number just for the sake of discussion. If, if the, and this is a very low amount, but if an account owed $1,000. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to ask you about your business. How would you feel about this if, you know, credit management owed uh, your company $1,000? You sent me an invoice. The invoice was aged. You sent me a past due. And said, if there's a problem, please contact us. And the wording, you know, certainly I would show the wording to client for it to be acceptable to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said to you, Patrick, I am in trouble. I am really having a problem with my cash flow. And what I'd like to do, if it's acceptable to you, is I'd like to pay you $250 a week because I can't afford to be able to run my company and satisfy your total bill of $1,000, what would your reaction be? I'd say, of course, because I'm still getting paid and I may be able to, you know, figure out a way to help you get your business more under control or, you know, retain you as a client. I'd be okay with that, personally. Patrick, you're the nicest guy in the world, but I have to tell you, you're not special in this regard. Yeah. All companies will make those types of accommodations. And when you make an accommodation like that with the client and speak to them as people instead of as a robot, yep. your relationship becomes cemented. Mm -hmm. And isn't that what everybody in this world is looking for? Absolutely. Right. So let's move on. Yeah. Now we've made the decision, we've gone through and we're at 170 or 180 days because of weekends or, you know, however it ended up falling. 
you've made the decision, meaning my client, have made the decision that I don't want to do any further business with uh, this individual or this company or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I still want to be paid my money. Right. So what happens at that point now, CMG Systems steps in and is able to contact the client to see if we can come to a reasonable resolution for satisfaction of the outstanding debt. Mm. Now, unfortunately, this is just fact. There are extreme limitations on what a collection company can do. Yeah. There are a lot of collection companies out there. I do things totally different. Uh, collection companies will you send dunning letters. You actually follow the rules? No, I don't. Oh, oh no, no. I follow the laws. The laws. I don't follow the rules of collection at all. I've, I've read various things on collections and how it's to be approached and you know, all the gyrations you're supposed to go through and all that. And I disagree with it. I disagree with, in fact, most of it. Because to me, when there's a debt outstanding, the sooner the debt is, is satisfied, the better off you're going to be. And also, after 180 to 200 days, if the debt goes beyond that, the collection rate falls Hardly dramatically. dramatically. Yeah. And a lot can happen to a company if you end up putting off things. So rather than sending mail and then placing phone calls and leaving messages if it's a business um, because that falls within the law, I don't do that. I am going to know within 24 to 48 hours whether I'm going to be able to get traction in satisfying the debt once I've spoken with the client and they've um, what given me certain latitude to be able to settle. Mm. If in fact we, I feel that there's not going to be traction or I feel for better words that I'm being danced on by the debtor, at that point what we do is very simply hire an attorney who works for us to be able to file a complaint against the client. Mm -hmm. That's phase four. Uh, phase three is done on a contingency basis. Phase four is done on a contingency basis as well. And we talked a little bit earlier about how third-party intervention seems to kind of Sparker. make people sit up straight in their chair. Spark a result, yeah. Well, you know, it's really funny. Because if it doesn't spark a result, then I have to tell you, if a collection company called me, I would not be intimidated. I think their uh, level of um, diplomacy and uh, act or, resolution... Or lack they, thereof. Well, yeah, but that can be addressed in a different way if you really understand the industry and understand what they can get away with. But regardless, um, when people are served with a complaint and a court date is actually scheduled or a hearing date, well, they no longer sit up straight in their chair. They stand up. Yeah, yeah. And what happens is at that point that we're usually able to resolve this very quickly. I work well, with my attorneys. Because it's a, that's a scary thing for a, an individual or a business to get. Well, you know they what? They're, they're scared. People are scared of, of the law. And anytime they get called to court, so to speak, even in a, in a civil matter or, or anything like that, it's, it can be, you know, nerve wracking for them. So I, I would assume, yeah, that makes people stand up and pay attention. Well, Patrick, you know, I have to be very candid with you. There's no reason in the world why my client shouldn't use the law to their benefit. Absolutely. And that's what we do. And the amount of time that it would take a client to actually do this, find a lawyer, go through it, um, have the lawyer file a complaint, uh, would be just unbelievably time consuming. 
And a lot of people just say, you know what? It's a thousand bucks or it's two thousand bucks or three thousand bucks. It's not worth my time to do that. We do that for them. And what is really the value added part of our phase four is, and let's just toss, talk brass tacks for a minute if we could. Sure. When you're dealing with attorneys, a lot of them are very busy. They are mm -hmm. under incredible constraint because of any hearings that they have to go to. The judge is going to tell them where to be, when to be there. It's not up to them that they say, well, you know what? I would really like to have coffee with Patrick at 11 o'clock. Can we change our hearing date to 1130 so I have time to have coffee? Judges aren't that amicable. <laughs> well, they, they might be, but I think they were in My Cousin Vinny, the movie. Um, but he was, he was kind of tough, too, until the very end of the movie. But um, in any event, what we're able to do is kind of spearhead it and work as an intermediary between the, my attorneys and my client. And the, well, because it's also for someone to retain a lawyer and go through all that mess is even more time consuming. It's not worth and, it. And costly. So the, the fact that you can take that as part of your process, as part of your service and incorporate that and you're doing all the legwork to make sure that your client gets paid. I mean, that's an incredible, that's an incredible time saving for someone who has who who would have to otherwise do all these things on their own well absolutely and you know in in reality if you understand and um i don't mean this in a nasty way at all because this goes into a really a tremendous amount of detail but if you understand the collection laws and how the uh debtor can actually um appeal and do all kinds of processes. It is a gargantuan task for an individual to pursue somebody. And even though they hire a lawyer, the lawyer may not be as attentive to them, certainly as I would. So really yeah, what absolutely. I'm doing, not only am I entering their shoes, but I'm holding their hand and guiding them through the whole process. Well, yeah, and you're going to bat for them, which is what... Well, the attorney's going to bat for them. Well, but up until I, I'm, yeah, but I mean, essentially, the your company is going to bat for them in in all aspects of trying to get this debt handled. Exactly the same as if I were the accounts receivable management department that hid in the back closet of an office <laughs> with no, none of the uh, associated internal expenses. Now. We're about out of time today, but I want to fit in one more quick thing, and I love to ask all my guests this, and that is, what has been the most unusual or strange thing that has happened to you since you've been in business or, or that you've experienced while being in business? And you don't have to go into specifics if it's client-related. You don't have to mention any names or anything, but, you know, what – just – Give me something that, that stood out to you as strange or weird or funny or, or you know, ironic or that just blew your mind. You couldn't believe it. You know, it's, it's funny that you say that. And, and I, people have asked me that on many different occasions. And I constantly think of this same scenario of a situation where I have a court reporter that's a client of mine. And basically, they go to depositions and they take the deposition from electronic medium to transcript. Sure. Provide the transcript to the attorney. Um, and uh, obviously, they have to do the work and they have an outstanding receivable to be paid. The My client, and this was, you know, at the very inception of my business, which was really kind of ironic, but... Um, he had reached out to the client a couple times and never got any result. So he finally asked me, um, and, and he was furious. And I can't blame him. I think that most people would be really angry if they've always put their best foot forward and done the best job that they can and then not get paid on top of it gets them really upset. In any event, I spoke with this attorney and 
the bill was really, it wasn't a lot of money. I think it was maybe $2,400 or something like that. Okay. And I said to the attorney, really simply put, um, you know, we need to kind of, I've been retained by so-and-so to um, address this invoice and I understand there's an issue with it being paid. Uh, the attorney started saying to me, well, all the money's been distributed and there's no money left to pay this bill. I responded with, well, I understand that. But however, administration was done within your firm is not really my concern. What's my concern is that the bill is actually payable by you. Your name is on the bill. It's an outstanding amount. And we have a choice. We can either come to a reasonable resolution in this conversation because this is the last conversation that I'm going to have with you. Now, uh, or we can discuss it under a different forum. Unfortunately, a lot of attorneys at times have a holier-than-thou attitude. <laughs> they really believe that they're above the law. Well, I don't believe that for a split second. And the reality is, it's not true. So the attorney responded back to me and said to me, are you going to sue me for, for that, that little amount of money? And I responded to him, no. I said, I'm not going to sue you for that little amount of money. What I'm going to do is I'm going to sue you for that amount of money, plus the collection fees, which are listed on my client's invoice, which you signed off on, plus interest, plus court costs. So really simply put, how would you like to handle it? Do you want to resolve it or should we move to a new venue? The, well, when I, when I said to him, you, we can discuss it under a different forum, he knew exactly what I was saying, meaning that I was going to file a complaint against him. And we were able to resolve it in that conversation. And it's really kind of crazy that this invoice had gone on at that point for 100 days. Wow. How the hell I got a check the following day Amazing. <laughs> oh, it you know, people will be people, right? I mean, at the end of the day, life happens, you know, why this was outstanding, who knows how they why they didn't, you know, distribute the funds accordingly in because recognition it, of it, this invoice. It, it could have been because he just felt that he could get away with not paying it. And I have to say, for me, and I get caught up in this personally a lot. Mm -hmm. And when I said that I enter my client's shoes, I'm a real principal person. And sometimes it's not always just about the money. Sometimes it's just about the principal. Mm -hmm. And I would be the kind of person that would argue with you over a $10 bill during the course of the day if I felt that it was unjust and buy a dinner for 200 that night. <laughs> it's, it's maybe a little um, skewed well, no. way of looking at things, but there becomes a point where, you know what, I, and, and, and another real big reason why I started this business was I don't like to see people taken advantage of. And Absolutely. I really believe that when people are not paying their bills or addressing their obligations and talking to a person as a person and explaining their situation and ignoring them, I have no tolerance for that. Yeah, And probably I really have to say that that was the way the system was designed and it's gotten to the point where our success rate has been off the chain. Mm. That's awesome. Successful. I'm glad to hear it, David. I, I can't thank you enough for joining me today. Oh, I love I love being here. This was a lot of fun. I really appreciate the time we were able to spend together. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have today, folks. I thank you so much for tuning in. Um, our social media tags and stuff will be in the outro after this. Thanks again for joining for Coffee and Accounting. Have a great day, guys.
Thanks for joining us today, guys, and thanks for listening. You can reach us on our social media on Instagram at rude underscore financial underscore services. You can find us on Facebook at the rude financial, R-O-O-D, and you can find us on Twitter at find the rude. Guys, I cannot thank you enough for your support and for listening to our podcast. I hope you were able to get something out of it. If there's any topics you'd like us to cover or anyone you'd like us to interview or questions that you may have or comments about the show, please feel free to contact us directly. You can also email us at rudeowners at rudefinancial.us. All right. Thanks again, guys, and have a great week. Thank you.